Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you for your plan of salvation, which has been made known to us through Jesus Christ. May we rejoice now as we open up your word, as we look at how you told us ahead of time what you would do. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. May we come to a deeper understanding of what you've done, and may we rejoice and respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, we looked at Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is the Old Testament passage quoted in the New Testament more than any other Old Testament passage. So one of the most important, in that sense, one of the most important passages in the Old Testament. Last week, we were looking at the coming king. We were looking at the prophecy that God had given long before Jesus was born, God telling us in in advance what he would do. Today, we're going to look at another prophecy from 2 Samuel 7. And 2 Samuel 7, I think, is one of the most important passages in the Old Testament. In fact, I found one theologian who said it's the most important theological statement in the Old Testament. If you made me right now say, what are the most important passages in the Old Testament, I would probably say that Genesis 12, the call of Abraham, is the most important passage in the Old Testament. And I would probably put this one, number two, 2 Samuel 7, or its sister passage in 1 Chronicles 17. I think that this is very likely the second most important passage in the Old Testament. Yeah, I think it's one that so many Christians are much less familiar with, at least less than the story of Abraham or less than many of the other stories. It's a passage again, like we looked at last week, about the coming king. It was God, about a thousand years ahead of time, telling what he was going to do in sending Jesus Christ to be our king. So I've kind of given away the end of the story there, but that's where I think most of you know that at Christmas time. That's where we're going here. We're, we're looking at the birth of Christ. But we're going to look at him today as the fulfillment of prophecy. And, and more than just the fulfillment of prophecy, the fulfillment of God's plan to rescue us. Now, as we think about the time of Jesus, it's pretty clear that people were anticipating something. During Jesus' earthly ministry, people started to ask, is this the Messiah? Is this the King? Even non-Christians, even the Gentiles heard of it. Remember what Pilate asked as Jesus was brought to trial? In John 18.33, Pilate said, Are you the King of the Jews? Or think about Jesus' disciples after his death and resurrection. They were anticipating something, and they said to Jesus in Acts 1.6, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? People in that day were looking for something. They, more specifically, they were looking for someone. They were looking for the fulfillment of Scripture. And when Jesus came and he started doing all these wonderful things, people started to say, is that him? The one that God told us about so long ago? Is that him? Well, where did that expectation come from? It came from Scripture. It came from, among other places, Second Samuel 7. And that's why I want to look at this passage today. Such an important passage that teaches us about the king that God would send. Now we have to look at a little bit of context here because we're just jumping right into it. The context was that King David was the king of Israel. And he led Israel to a significant measure of peace. Now peace was something that Israel had experienced much of for the last 800 years or so. If you think about their history and you think about them being sent into Egypt and becoming slaves there. And then God did a miracle and got them out of Egypt, but then because of their own sinfulness, God punished them and made them wander in the desert. And even when they got into the promised land, then they didn't do it exactly the way that they should have. 
and there were, there, there were enemies around there that were persecuting them. So for about 800 years worth of time, Israel hadn't experienced much peace. And now King David was reigning, and he was in Jerusalem, and there was a measure of peace around him. And King David then thought, as he's sitting in his nice kingly palace, he says, here I am, the king of Israel, sitting in my palace, and the ark of God, the, the symbol of the presence and the power of God, is living in a tent. And he said, that doesn't seem quite right to me. And he said, I'd like to do something for God. I would like to build him a nice temple that we can put the ark in. I want to read for you, this isn't in your bulletin, but Second Samuel 7, verses 1 through 3. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. So David had this idea to build a place for God to dwell, a house, a temple for God to dwell in. And Nathan the prophet said, Go ahead, David, that sounds like a great idea. Until later that night, God had a message for David through Nathan the prophet. And, and God's message was, David, good idea, but you don't need to build me a house. God said to David, I will build you a house. And here's where we get the prophecy then. The, the word house is a key word here. There's a play on words. David wanted to build a physical structure, a temple, a house for God. And God said, no, I want to build you something much better, a lasting spiritual dynasty sort of a house. In verses 5 to 11, and in our passage today, God told David that God would be the builder. So let's read our passage now. We're looking at 2 Samuel. We're starting in the middle of verse 11, and I'll read through verse 16. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me your throne will be established forever. Again, in verse 11 there, what I've already said, and it's repeated for emphasis, that the Lord, the Lord, will be the builder of this house. God was telling David what he would do. And as he gave him these promises, one of the promises he gave is that one of your offspring will sit on the throne forever. God promised to be with David's offspring in such a way that he could say, I will be his father and he will be my son. That's in verse 14 there. God promised never to take his love away from David's offspring. And that was something different than what he had done in, with King Saul. Remember, God said to Samuel, anoint King Saul as king over Israel, but then Saul kind of messed up and God said, okay, Saul, I'm taking it away from you, taking your kingdom away. And what God said here in this prophecy is, I will never take my love away from your offspring like I took it away from Saul. So this was to be a lasting dynasty that God promised. And the awesome thing about it is that God simply promised to do it. Now we, as we read this Bible and, and its history for us, we have to ask ourselves the question, in whom were these prophecies fulfilled? The Bible's telling about 
the offspring of David, and we have to ask the question, whom are they fulfilled? Now, we could take a historical look at it, and one of the obvious answers would be to say, well, they were fulfilled in King Solomon. David had a son, Solomon, and, and David placed <coughs> Solomon on the, on the throne to be the next king. And, and indeed, Solomon did reign over Israel. For about 40 years, he reigned over Israel. And he also brought Israel to a measure of peace, uh, rest from the enemies around them. And Solomon did something pretty ma- magnificent. He built this phenomenal structure, this temple for the Ark of God to dwell in, this totally ornate thing, one of the great wonders of the ancient world. So it, it looks in part like Solomon was fulfilling this passage. I want to reread verses 12 and 13, the first part of it for you. And think about this in light of Solomon. When your day, so God's speaking to David. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. We look at those promises and it sure looks like Solomon. So was Solomon the fulfillment of this passage? Well, in part, we could say yes, but overall, we'd have to say no. Even Solomon knew that the temple that he built couldn't hold God, so Solomon did build this huge, ornate temple, and in his prayer of dedication in 1 Kings 8, he said this, The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you, how much less this temple I have built. So it was an amazing structure, but even Solomon said it's actually kind of piddly when you think of what God can do. And there's another reason why Solomon isn't the fulfillment of this prophecy. Solomon messed up. We know from reading about the rest of his life that he didn't exactly follow God the way that he should. He married a bunch of foreign women, which the king wasn't supposed to do. He set up places of worship for foreign gods, which he certainly wasn't supposed to do. And even Solomon, in his own heart, turned after those other gods to worship them. Solomon was not the fulfillment of this passage because he did not follow God the, the way that he should have. Now, like I said, the promises in this passage were given by God. And, and in our passage, there weren't really any strings attached. But clearly, God wanted David's offspring to follow him. And that becomes even more clear as we look at Psalm 132. In that chapter in Psalms, it's looking back at this promise made to David and it, it explains a little bit more about it. I want to read for you verses 11 and 12. The Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath that he will not revoke. One of your descendants I will place on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and the statutes I teach them, then their sons will sit on your throne forever and ever. You see, in there we see the if part of this, that God wanted David's offspring to continue to follow him rightly. So Solomon didn't fulfill this. Now we might say, well, what about Solomon's sons then? If it wasn't Solomon, was it one of Solomon's sons? Well, we know from reading our history that they didn't do much better. That some of them were good, maybe even better than Solomon, but some of them were way more wicked. And the truth is that it got so bad in Israel that God had to just send them away in punishment, in exile. said, you can no longer live in Israel for a time. So, was God's promise revoked? God gave these promises to David and to his offspring, and his offspring failed. Was God's promise revoked? Well, not at all. Because there's one word in our passage today that points us, that that leads us to believe that Solomon was never intended to be the one to fulfill these prophecies. It's the word forever. 
and it's in our passage three times. Solomon couldn't fulfill these prophecies for many reasons, but in part because I, w- I was even asking my son Josiah this question. I said, why couldn't Solomon fulfill these prophecies? And he said, because Solomon died. And that's exactly right. Solomon couldn't fulfill this because he was just a human being, a mere human being, and he died. He couldn't live forever like that. God knew there would be another king born much later who would live forever and who would fulfill these prophecies. It was never intended that Solomon would fulfill these. It was intended that King Jesus would fulfill these prophecies. That's why in the very first verse of the New Testament, in Matthew 1.1, it says that Jesus is the son of David. Because remember in here, it it went to great lengths to say, David, it's going to be one of your offspring. And that's who Jesus was. The son of David. And, And that's an interesting point to me that You know, we talk about Jesus as being the Son of God and the Son of Man. Well, that's why it's so important here. He's the the Son of God. He is the only one who could live forever, like this passage talks about. We, through Him, get to live forever, but it's, it's only true of Him in that sense that He will reign forever. But it's also true that He was born through the lineage of David. He's the Son of Man and the Son of God. Verse 14 talks about the the son of God part of that. In verse 14 it says, I will be his father and he will be my son. In the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, the author quotes that verse and says that had to be about Jesus. It couldn't be about any other person, not even an angel. That's King Jesus being talked about in the Old Testament. Similarly, Stephen, when he was about to be stoned, he was giving a little history of Israel and and he talked about what happened in this time. In Acts 7 he said, Uh, excuse me, Stephen acknowledged that Solomon did build the temple, but then he went on to say, however, the Most High does not live in houses made by men. Stephen knew that the house being talked about here wasn't a physical house. It was a spiritual house that King Jesus would build. So again, Solomon fulfilled part of this prophecy, but its fuller fulfillment looked ahead to Jesus. And by the way, that's a, a very helpful way to look at Old Testament prophecy. This is just a tip when you're looking at Old Testament prophecy, oftentimes we see a prophecy and then we see an initial fulfillment of it that kind of fulfills it in some ways, but it also kind of leaves you wanting more. And then you have to look ahead to the fuller fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And that's what we see going on in our passage today. And if you're still not quite convinced, one more Old Testament or New Testament passage to show you. Luke 1, 31 to 33. And we saw this in our Christmas program here today where Mary was told by the angel Gabriel, you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Clearly, this prophecy was intended to be fulfilled by Jesus. The New Testament says so. Only in Jesus are the prophecies of Second Samuel 7 fulfilled. Now I think that's the way that we need to view this passage in the Old Testament. I think it's the way that we need to view God's plan, that, that God had this plan. He knew that we would be sinners and would need to be rescued, so he had this plan. But there's one question in my mind then that sticks out about Second Samuel 7. If it's about Jesus and not Solomon then what in the world is going on in verse 14 where it says, when he does wrong, I will punish him. 
Now, if we're talking about Solomon, we understand that. Solomon did do something wrong, and God did punish it, punish Solomon. He took ten of the tribes of Israel away from Solomon. Said, God said, you messed up. I'm just going gonna, gonna to take those ten away from you and left him with a much smaller kingdom. Or if we think about ourselves, we understand that we have messed up, that our sin has earned a death penalty for us. But when we think about Jesus, he did nothing wrong. So why does it say here, when he, when he does wrong, I will punish him? Well, this is where the story gets really good for us. Because Jesus was punished for sin. Not for his own, though. For ours. And in here we see God's redemption for us. That God knew that we would need to be rescued. God knew that our sin stood against us and there was nothing that we could do about it. That's why God placed on Jesus our sin. So that any who put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord could be forgiven. The truth is here that God promised something to David that we would benefit from. In some ways it looks like it's a prophecy about David. And Hey, hey David, I'm going to make your dynasty a lasting dynasty. And, and you, you might say, oh cool, God, that's, that's awesome to think about that. But there's something even deeper here. That the gift given through the offspring of David would be something that we benefit from. That our sins can be forgiven. You see, we aren't perfect. Far from it. Yet God sent Jesus so that we could live forever with him. Do we deserve that? Do we deserve the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ? Anybody here, are you in and of yourselves so good that God looks down at you and says, wow, you know, all those other people are really bad, but you, you, huh? Yep. No, none of us. We have all sinned and offended God. Now, if we recognize that, if we recognize that we've sinned against God and, you know, earned this death penalty, there might be a part of us that would like to say, okay, God, I'd like to try to make it up to you. I realize what I've done wrong, God, and I'm going to try now to make it up to you. (coughs) The problem is, we can't. We're dead in sin. That's how we came into this world. You see, in the beginning of this passage in 2 Samuel 7, David said, God's been really good to me, and uh, I should do something nice for him. God's response was, no, David, no. Let me do something for you. God is the builder. And it's the same thing with our salvation. As we think about where we stand before God with our sin, there is nothing that we can do. We need God to build this house. God responded by letting David and us know that what God can do for us is much greater than what we can do for him. I want to repeat that one. What God can do for us is much greater than what we can do for him. We need God to build our lives. God is the master builder. And I like David's response here. David began by saying, God, I want to do something for you. But when God told David what he was going to do, you should read the rest of this chapter, starting in verse 18 to the end. David's prayer, he simply says, Thank you, God. Who am I that you would say such wonderful things to me? And he worshipped and praised God for the gift that God would give him. I think David knew that there was nothing that he could do 
to, to make up this, to repay God for this gift. And David just simply said to God, thank you, may what you have said come true. That's what we should do as well. When we hear God's wonderful promises for us about how we can be saved from our sin through King Jesus, we should believe it by faith and praise God. We should worship Him. We should, in, in our heart's desire to flee from sin, to repent of our sins, and to walk in newness of life with the God who desires to save us and to have an eternal relationship with us. We need God to build our lives. Now, for David, I think there was something humbling about that. Remember, David here was sitting in his really nice palace. David had done a lot of things in his life. I, I bet there was a part of David that was saying, hey, I'm, I'm kind of an important guy, God, and I'd like to do something for you that only I can do. And, and again, God's response was, no, David, let me build. And I bet it was humbling for David. And it's humbling for us sometimes to think, really, the way that I go through my life is through faith? I was talking with somebody about worry this week, and, and um, we feel like we need to take control of things. We feel like if something comes my way and it's, it's a difficult thing, I need to take care of it. It's like, God, it's okay, I got this one. But we, were, we both agreed that, no, that's not the way we go through this life. We trust God to take care of things. We trust God to build our lives. I think that's the message of this, that, that David wanted to build a house for God, and God said, I have something much greater. And it's humbling for us. It might be humbling for us to say, I'm going to live my life by faith. I'm going to trust God to do the building. And yes, it may be humbling, but I also think it's the highest honor to recognize that the God of the, of the universe has plans for us. He wants to include us in what he's doing. The point of 2 Samuel 7 is that God had a plan much higher than David did. He had a plan to send King Jesus to rescue us and to lead us into new life. Now we know that this has happened already. That, that God sent King Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. And that king that Israel waited for is still the king of our lives. So I just want to close by talking about what it means for us to know Jesus as king. And I said these things last week, but I think it's so important that, that I, want to, I want to mention it again. Because Jesus is our king, we should submit to him. Because Jesus is our king, we should submit to him. There's only room for one king in our life, and I think that every single one of us came into this world assuming I'm the king, or if you're a woman, I'm the queen of my own life. That we're each tempted to try to live our life our own ways according to what we want. But the message of Christmas is that God has something much better for us, that he sent King Jesus to lead us into eternal life. And our response should be like those wise men from the east. They came and they said, we want to worship the one who was born as king. There's only room for one king in our lives and we each need to do business and we probably need to do this on a daily basis but I, w I want to encourage you to think about it right now. Who is your king? Are you living your life according to your own ways? Trying to build your own house? I can't imagine how small of a house we could build for ourselves 
in comparison with what God wants to do. Is Jesus the king of your life? And if he is king, what should we be doing? We should worship him. We praise him. We submit to him. We ask him, what do you want me to do? We humble ourselves before him in prayer and in reading his word and we follow his ways. Jesus Christ is my king. I make that confession before you all today and I, and I know from my own life that personally there's times where I want to jump back on that throne and control my own life. But Jesus Christ is the rightful king of all of our lives. May we submit to him and worship him. God is still building his house and he has a place for us in it. In the New Testament they give the word picture of a spiritual temple being built and it says that we are the living stones and God is at work building us. That's the building project that I want to be in on. Even as we think about our building project here at Cornerstone Church, we've bought a place and we're going to remodel it. That little building project is piddly compared to the overall plan of what God is doing. Hopefully what we're doing there fits into that bigger project but the building project that I want to be a part of is the one that God has promised to do. The one that he prophesied about in 2 Samuel 7. The one that he brought about through King Jesus and has made known to every single one of us here. May we submit to the King and live our lives according to who he is. Eventually the Bible tells us that every knee will bow to King Jesus. And I just pray that we do that now as an act of our will and that we live our lives accordingly. He is the master builder and I'm excited to see what he can do as we submit our lives to him. Would you pray with me? Father, we do praise you for your plan to rescue us, for sending King Jesus. He is the rightful king of kings, the king of our hearts, the king of everything, and we submit to him. God, right now, if there's anybody in here who is unsure whether they have submitted to King Jesus, we just want to talk to you right now and say, God, I know that I am a sinner and that I have tried to lead my own life. I now confess my sins and ask to receive Jesus as my Savior, as my King, and as my Lord. Please come into my life. Make me the person you want me to be. And God, for all of us here, we want to live according to your ways. We just come before you right now and, and yes, we realize that sometimes we are tempted and sometimes we follow the wrong path. God, forgive us for that. Cleanse us. And would you please guide us in the right way. May we fully submit to King Jesus, worshiping him and living our lives according to your plan. God, we praise you for the power that's in this life. We pray that you would lead us into it and that we would follow you and it would be for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.